Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. It's pretty brutal. What fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. I'm getting a very creepy feeling, Amy. With Margaret Abels and Amy Wilson. None of them can get their printers to work. A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to. I am team old at this point. Hello, everyone, and welcome to What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And today, we're going to talk about when we've got to take care of our parents and our kids. I believe they call it sandwiching, Amy. Yep. We're going to start there with a little etymology lesson of sandwich generation. We don't have a mailbag this week, as it turns out. We don't have a mailbag, but I do have another text from my sister correcting me on the podcast, Amy. Okay. Which I wanted to share. On our Halloween episode, I was referring to this scary ghost lady witch from the movies as Lularona, and she correctly pointed out that I was merging the Lularoe documentary that I recently watched about the leggings <laughs> yes. and, and the movie La Lorona. They're different things. Lularoe and La Lorona, there's no leggings involved in the witchy lady who kills children, nor are there any witch ladies involved in the documentary about the leggings. I thought you were like, it was like a Streganona, like cousin, like sequel book. And I just like, I'm just going with it. <laughs> I don't know. Streganona kind of, because, you know, I like to describe myself as Streganona when I'm not looking my best. A lot of things came together in that reference. And my sister Kate is 100% correct that I misspoke when I called that movie Lula Rona. Thank goodness for sisters to tell you when you are 5% incorrect on something. Listen, Kate monitors this podcast extremely carefully for my mistakes. <laughs> and I'm glad we have her. You know, like on soap opera sets, they have a consultant who's there to be like, no, no, she can't have a drink. She was an alcoholic four years ago. They get like a super fan on a soap opera set to keep track of all the plots because... Wow. Because even the writers, they generate too quickly. Because it goes on right, for right. 14 years. And it's like, no, no, she does have a sister. She murdered her in 1971, whatever. Like there's somebody on this set who's way <laughs> into it. 
Game of Thrones. My husband could do this job for Game of Thrones. Like, no, no, that blacksmith can't have that sword. He lost it in the river in episode two. Mm -hmm. That's the role that my sister plays for the What Fresh Hell podcast. All right. Good for her. I'm glad you're out there, Margaret's sister. You know that I am. This week, I have a lot of uh, research. I've brought the receipts this week. We're going to talk about this because this is a real issue taking care of our parents and our kids at the same time. If you're not there yet, I'm not really there yet. We will be one of these days. There's demographic reasons for that. And so let's get into it, right? Let's dive in, Amy. You were saying before, like, this is the sandwich generation. So that was the first, that's where I started. Like, okay, who came up with the sandwich generation? When did that start becoming a word? It was a social worker named Dorothy Miller. She wrote an article back in 1981. She was the first person 40 years ago to sort of be like, there's this thing that people do when they're taking care of two people at the same time. And I would argue before 1981, like, let's go back 50 years. If you were a 43-year-old woman 50 years ago, yeah, you probably had all your kids out of the house in college. You know, you had two, right? Because you had your kids at 20, right? Yes. And both your parents were gone. Right. Because they died earlier. Yes. So now, 43-year-old has an 83-year-old mom who just broke her hip and a preschooler. Right. (laughs) Yeah. In my case, a two year old. So it's just a demographic reality that more and more of us, as we have kids later and our parents live longer, which are both, you know, wonderful things, that this is going to be a reality for more and more of us. I recently heard someone say as kind of a throwaway line on a podcast, we have doubled human life expectancy in 100 years. Holy cow. And I thought, how is that possible? And life expectancy 100 years ago was like under 50. Yeah. That seems incredible to me as a person approaching, you know, this age that like I should be dead. Basically, a hundred years ago, I'd be like, it put Mima out to the on the raft. You're a Lula Rona in a cottage if you made it to fifty. I was just Lula. I was Draganona, Lula Rona, and Lala Rona all at the same time. Yes, here's a demographic thing for you. In the next forty years, we expect the number of Americans who are ages sixty-five and older to increase by ninety-two percent. Yeah, there will be another 45 million of people in that category than there are now. It's wild. Yeah. And what are we going to do with all those people? I mean, I'll lay all the problems on you now. There are neither enough home health care aides and nursing homes to care for all the people who are going to need them coming like very shortly now. Nor even if you could find a health care aide or a nursing home, they cost a hundred bajillion dollars a month. And many, many, many of us can't afford those for our parents or ourselves. Well, and I was listening to an economist talk about this recently, and it I hadn't really occurred to me that market forces being what they are, there are places in the economy where there is just fundamentally not any more money. <laughs> so unlike a store where like you can gather mass amounts of customers and then you've got a hundred people paying the cost to ship this product, whatever it is, that the market out the buyers are vast. And the providers are few, so there's a lot of money floating around. That in elder care, it's one provider and one customer. And so it's just very hard for there to be any more money. Like people in elder care are not well paid. No. It's a low paying job. Hard, right. But it's extremely onerous, yes, financially. Yes. On the people who need to pay for that care. Yes. Like here it all comes. And the amount of years that people need care at the end of their life keeps growing, right? I think it's like three or something is the average now. Three is the average what? Three years of care, the average American needs. Well, I've heard something like, you know, the 80-20 rule. Here's a commonplace way to apply this. You wear 20% of your clothes 80% of the time, you know, things like that. You spend 
80% of your lifetime health care and the last 20% of your life and perhaps the last 2% of your life. It gets more and more expensive as you get older. That's right. Because, all right, so I looked it up just so that I would have it right. The average length of stay is 28 months, medium being 22 months in assisted care. Mm-hmm. I know. This is like coming down the pike, guys, for, <laughs> for all of us. So, right. And some of the, and these places are, you know, I mean, it's wild. Thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars a week. Yes. The New York Times actually covered, I'll put a link in the show notes. Jessica Gross wrote an article for the New York Times called, It's Pretty Brutal. The Sandwich Generation Pays a Price. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. We. I feel like last episode we were like, how can we be a little less depressed? And now we're like, here's a super depressing episode, friends. Here's a super depressing episode. I mean, it's depressing. And they're like, yeah. So the story, she covers a mom from Maryland. She's a single parent. She's in her early 40s. She has twins. One of them has autism, like early childhood, like kindergartners. Mom just moved in with her because her mom has hepatitis and diabetes and had no money for a home health aid. So this is a single mom kid with special needs, mom with special needs, covering it all, not just with, you know, her hours, but also with her money. She was doing things like cutting out her cable bill so that she could afford her mom's ventilator because of these Medicare problems. So, I mean, we have to do better by one another than we're doing. But I want to sort of look at why this is hard. I mean, it's hard. Why it's hard. Why it's especially hard on women. And then maybe, you know, what we can do to make this a little easier for ourselves if we're in this situation and for our friends. I'll take it, Amy. So far, I'm just really, really anxious and depressed. So if that was your aim, you knocked it out of the park. You know, it's like, this is your heart is hard. So if you're listening and you're in this situation, like, yeah, it's as hard as you think it is. And you don't have enough time. You're actually correct about that. So like the support of this is as hard as you think it is, is sort of where we need to start. And I will say also, just so that we add all the depressing bricks on the pile before we start, Families are also often kind of blown to the wind. So this is, I know a lot of people for whom this is happening and the mom is 18 states away mm. and like they're trying to manage it from a distance. Also terribly hard. Or your sister is 18 states away and, you know, special guest stars once in a while to tell you you're doing it wrong and it shouldn't be that way. Yeah. There's a host of problems here. <laughs> yes. So Dorothy Miller, 40 years ago, discovered this sandwich generation and she said the position of the children of the aging, that's what she's calling, you know, the woman who's in this position, exposes them to a unique set of unshared stresses in which giving of resources and services far outweighs receiving or exchanging them. Okay. So give that to us in English. That you have stresses if you are in this position that are unshared. Yes. And you are giving far more than you are receiving. I mean, bingo. You mean because you're the caretaker in both situations, both to your kids yes. and to your parent. Exactly. In both situations, you are giving more than you are getting back. Not because people are bad people, but because you are in this situation. And it's an unshared stress, even with a supportive spouse, even with a sister down the street who does everything she can. You know, like it's an unshared stress if you're in this particular situation. And I'll take that another exit further. It's a heart-based stress. It's a stress. Mm. It's a love-based stress. Unlike at work where your stress is like, can we get the reports to the manager in time? Let's see. Like there's a certain distance from that stress, but the stress of like my kid with autism needs his IAP done correctly because that's going to affect the outcome of his life. And my mother who cared for me so well is now alone in a room in a home that I don't feel is nice enough, but I can't afford anything else. Like these aren't stresses like, you know, can we get the widgets to work? This is stress that is so bone deep. 
Yes, I would agree. And this falls uniquely, specially on women. Yes. Two out of three people in this situation who care for an elderly parent are women. Yeah. So not all. There's that third of people. There are definitely people who are male who are doing it. But like writ large, this is what we're talking about. This is put more on women's shoulders. And there's financial reasons for that because there's a gender pay gap. And the gender pay gap makes it more likely that when mom breaks her hip and somebody has to, you know, dial back at work to take care of her because we can't, you know, afford home health care aid, that it's going to be the woman because she earns less in the first place. It also, I hadn't considered this, that the gender pay gap also makes it more likely that the aging female parent will need financial support, will need more support because she won't have had the earning power in her life. You're truly getting it coming and going, right? Like the female has less money. Yes. And then, and also men don't live as long as women. And so often it's the female surviving parent and they're 10 years into a pension that maybe is dwindling. And that's right. Like they've used up a lot of their savings. This is the other thing. Like we have not prepared as a generation financially and structurally to it used to be like, well, you retired at 65 and then you died at 75. So you had 10 years to kind of enjoy right. the money. But now right. it's like you retire at 65. You live to 97. Like, yeah, it's 30 years of life that you have to cover financially. And P.S. You know how we said there's going to be Social Security? Actually, maybe not. <laughs> Actually, maybe not. Maybe not so much. Yeah. The math on all of this just doesn't run. Yeah. I'm getting a very creepy feeling, Amy. <laughs> Super creepers. All right. We'll come back. We're going to talk more about why it's hard because there are more reasons why this is hard. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses. First two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby's skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we say? say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use fresh to get 
$100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E. Lumen dot me. And use the code FRESH at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. Okay, Amy, I'm so excited to be back and talk more about why. I can't wait to get to solved it on this episode. When we solve <laughs> Social Security, gender pay gap, and aging, we're going to be in great shape at the end of this episode. Oh, let's talk about two reasons why caring for a parent, I mean, it's fraught, right? To care for your parent, it's sort of like the wrong order of things. Why that's difficult, even in a way that caring for your kid is not. Okay. I mean, I know this one already, but run me through it. Yeah. Okay. The first one is when your parent doesn't want the caregiving that they clearly need and that you are offering them. Yeah, it's a role switch, which is very difficult. It's the classic taking away the keys, right? Like, yes, the dad who's always run the show, you're now like, uh, actually, I don't think you should be driving anymore. And that's not great. Not a great dynamic. Right. They don't want to be in this position at all. So you, you know, are doing this for them. And then does this sound familiar? <laughs> it's like a teenager, like they need you. And you're also a jerk because they need you. Yeah, it's a really, really, really hard dynamic in terms of that. That's right. That like, unlike a child who I think fundamentally doesn't want the care. That's right. A teenager doesn't want the care anymore, needs the care. And similarly, a parent probably doesn't want the care, needs the care. They resent the care. And they're not just, you know, I want to broaden this lens a little bit because there are people listening who for sure have a parent living with them or who lives down the street that they are with every day, caring for every day in that very intense caregiving stage. And there are a lot more people who are in the position of my parents' finances are a mess. They didn't plan for retirement and they have nothing, right? The roof has a hole in it and they're not doing anything about it. Mm -hmm. That you're taking on half of adults actually in their 30s and 40s say they take on some of the, you know, the sort of the caregiving, the logistical caregiving, the financial caregiving of their parents. Right. And I would say, you know, a majority of couples or at least half of couples have at least more than two sets of parents, right? You have parents, oh, in-laws, step-parents, step-in-law, you know, you have a bunch of older people in your life at this point. It's not just like, it's just my mom and we'll figure it out. You know, it's a lot of people up there. And the chance that if you've got two sets of parents, both you and your spouse have two sets of parents, meaning you're original mother and father have split and have new spouses, the chance that all eight of those people are financially sound and making good choices and have planned completely and are going to take care of themselves in retirement, not great. None of them can get their printers to work. Right? Well, that's the least of it, for God's sakes. That's like six households. You've got to be changing the ink once a month. Changing the ink and helping them set up the Zoom. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I cannot go down that road because I'm so close to being that person, Amy, that I cannot goof on anyone else for being <laughs> technically absurd. As a semi-old, I can say, right. I am a semi-old. And let me tell you, I'm like, I am team old at this point. You know, the pandemic sort of put that into like sharp relief for me. Like, oh, we need to be doing this. Like, this is the kind of stuff that you wait and then hurry up about. Like, you know, what is your retirement planning? What is your end of life planning? Like all that stuff. Oh, for yourself. For yourself, but also for my parents. Like when we were like locked down, I'm talking like beginning of the pandemic when literally anything could happen, right? When there were like freezer trucks outside the hospitals. I was like, I'm nowhere. Like I think I know their dates of birth. I'm not sure I know what their insurance information is. I don't know what their, some of the parents and in-laws, I wasn't sure what their end of life directives were, if they had one, if they had a will, if they did this. And it all of a sudden became 
incredibly important to me. So I made a huge, you know, bullet point list of these are the 18 things I need to make sure I have for both sets of our parents. And that list has remained in bullet point form because it's hard. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to have these difficult conversations. Hey, have you thought about how you want to die? I will lean on on solutions. I know it's early for solutions, but I do think this is one of the smartest things you can do for yourself. And Sometimes the solutions are elusive because I will tell you that if you don't have money, mm. the solutions are extremely elusive. Like there are no good choices if you don't have any money. Like if you do not have some sort of retirement savings or, you know, insurance or all of those things you need, those solutions get very cloudy. But my father was in, had kids late. And so he's older. And I think that because he's older, he's had an easier time. I mean, my dad, sometimes we joke him that like every day he's like, well, this is what I want you to do with this urn after I go, you know, like he's kind of into this kind of planning and is not afraid to give voice to it. But I had to lean in a little bit and have these tough conversations. My mom died a couple of years ago. And, you know, I think we had really stark and scary conversations about like, what do you want? What interventions do you want? What does it look like for you to have a successful death. I mean, it's a scary thing to say to your mom, but leaning into those things, I created a Google Doc at some point. Something happened. I don't remember what the inciting incident was, but something where I either couldn't get in touch with my dad or he ended up having to get something done medically and I didn't know the information. I created a Google Doc and I said, what are your neighbor's phone numbers? What is the name of your doctor? What is you know, and just write down all of this information for me so that we have it. Like, who is the executor of your will? Who holds all that information? What are your passwords for all of your accounts? And those kind of conversations are difficult, but the technicalities you can always sort out. If somebody dies, you can take a couple of months to be like, believe me, shutting down my mom's Facebook account was like a week of my life. But you can do it. Would it have been easier if I knew where the password was written down? Yes. What you can't do is have a parent who needs a feeding tube and four siblings and nobody knows the answer to whether or not that's the right next step. Yeah. And if you are willing to sit down and have these really hard conversations, what does a good day look like for you as a person in very ill health when you're older? Like, okay, you can't leave a hospital bed, but we can come visit you. Is that good to you? I mean, really hard conversations, but having them is so worthwhile. I guess it kind of reminds me of the things we've said about having difficult conversations with kids recently, that like talk, you don't have the talk once, you have a hundred the talks and you have them in little ways. And this seems like a huge thing to bring up. And so it stays on the shelf. This needs to be a conversation you have early and often. And not just about like, do you want to be cremated? But the New York Times article suggests that if you think that you're going to become your parents' caretaker, if you think they're going to need help with their finances, start talking about that now because the expert in that article was suggesting it might take a while for them to start saying yes. Like this is a journey for them too. Absolutely. It's hard for you to be like, how do you want to die? It's hard for your parent to countenance thinking about that. And so you have to have a couple conversations and they don't want you to be in charge of their bank account. They've been writing checks for 50 years. They know how to do this. And Okay, but mom, there's a thing called Zell now, whatever. You start to do that in little ways and you do it again and again so that the handover becomes a little, I don't know, a less fraught because it's going to be fraught anyway. 
it's going to be so fraught. And I think that in general, I mean, I tend to be the person who's like, I got this. Sit down, everyone. We're going to talk. You're dying and let's do that. You know, like I can be a little bit, you know, I can come in a little hot sometimes on that stuff. But I do think that also you have to be respectful of that person's role that like I tend to come in and take over a little bit and like this is how we're going to do it. And if somebody's not ready for that, it's fair. They are still the parent. They deserve a tremendous amount of respect, hopefully, if they've been a good parent. And I think that trying to come in and be like, here's what we're going to do can be really off-putting. Sure. But I think that finding access points to those conversations. And we, I had a relative who was a beautiful singer getting older and the family wanted to make a recording of this person singing because they had a beautiful singing voice and they wanted like the grandchildren and the great grandchildren to be able to hear this person's voice going forward. And the person was very, very resistant to it. And I think it just brought up for them the feeling of like, oh, they want to record me because they think I'm dying. Oh, I see. And didn't want to do it and never did do it. And I was sort of team like, this has to happen. It's going to be so magical for other people. But it was sort of a good lesson in like, you can't push people to do things they don't want to do, no matter who they are, no matter if you know better, no matter if they're older, no matter if you think it's for the best you still kind of have to give people the respect of autonomy for as long as possible. So what I'm saying is it's a balance because I just said two different things. (laughs) You have to do it and then you have to respect them, but you have to find the balance. I guess you bring it up and if it's not a good time, then you you bring it up again in a couple of months or when would be a good time to talk about this. I mean, you can kind of leave it on the table between you. And look, it's the same thing as with kids, right? If you bring up my daughter just last night was explaining a difficult thing she was going through in one of her friendships and she wanted to talk about it until she did not want to talk about it, if you feel me. And so we stopped. And we talk about this all the time, not having conversations Yes, when the emotions are high. So when you discover that your parent does not have enough savings to make it through the year... It is probably the time for everybody to walk away and be like, okay, this is scary and upsetting, and then come back and involve everybody at a calmer mm-hmm. time, you know? And similarly, like when someone's feeling fraught or nervous is maybe not a good time. And people have such different experiences of this. Like, I feel like my mom was really able to be like, my mom was just a very... um what's clear-eyed person in a very specific kind of a way and able to be like, okay, this is what we're facing. These are the choices I'm interested in. These are the choices I'm not interested in. But I definitely know people for whom like those choices are much more fraught and just the very idea that like anything's ever going to change is hard to bring up no matter how calm things are. There's another complicating factor I want to throw in, because this isn't complicated enough yet, right? So I thought I'd make it more complicated. No, 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 please, Amy, please. Let's get this thing a little complicated, please. (laughs) We're way too happy and cheerful. So our parents are triggered when we're bringing up, like, I don't think you should drive anymore. I don't think you have enough money saved for retirement, whatever it is, the difficult conversation. It's also triggering for us, especially if, particularly if, experts say, if your relationship with this parent that you're now in a caretaking position with was dysfunctional. Right. And spoiler alert, it was in its own ways. Like, even if it was great, your relationship with your parent is very highly marked by markers, you know? And so, like, 
you're the disorganized one becomes like you can't be in charge of the pill case, whatever it is, like the little markers of your relationship are going to flare up so badly around caretaking. They're going to come back like you're going to visit them again, right? You're going to come back around to those markers again, except you're going to be looking at them from the opposite side. Yeah. And there's a very strong like who you are to each other. I mean, think about your own children. And now put yourself in the position of like those kids are now in charge of you, Amy, like you who knows how to run everything and does everything like your feelings towards that would be like, oh, blah, 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 blah. It would be complicated by who those people are to you. Yes. That doesn't, there's no sudden switch that flips when you turn 75, where you're, you see your children as fully realized adults and capable in all these different ways. You still see them as mm. like the four-year-old who always left the marker on the couch without a top on it, you know, and you want that yes. person in charge of your you know, insulin regimen, you probably don't. (laughs) Whether or not they are able to do it, it's still really, really hard. Okay, so it's hard. It's hard. I think that part, Amy, I believe we have established a baseline of it's really, really hard. We had a listener write in recently with a question saying, how do I find time to work out? She was already getting up at 5.30. She had no non-integrated spouse. I forget the details, but basically it was like, I'm already getting up at 5.30. My spouse isn't around. I got the kid. I got the parent. I get up at 5.30. So when am I supposed to work out? And, you know, the answer is you're not. Like, I don't know when you're supposed to work out. If you're in this position where you have kids you have to take care of and parents, there actually literally is not enough time. It isn't like you could be writing that novel if you really wanted to. There is actually not enough. Rise and grind does not apply, guys. Rise and grind. Rise and grind, right. Want it more, try harder, get up earlier is not sufficient to meet the demands of this moment. I was going to say, and so the thing that gets paused is, you know, your mental health, your physical health. This is also, I think, an important aspect of being a caregiver is determining, and this is so challenging because it can be very changing, determining what situation you're in, meaning marathon or sprint. Is this an acute problem that you need to put your life on hold for three weeks and deal with? Mm -hmm. Or is this a problem that is going to go on for three years? Because I think a lot of the people who I see who have the worst time of this, they are in a sprint that goes on for six months, seven months. Ah, uh, you're right. Then in a year and a half and then two years. And you cannot actually do that. And so one thing that usually, I shouldn't say usually, but in my experience, I remember with my grandmother who was, you know, in great shape, 86. I can't believe she does it all driving, doing all her things, had a fall. And then all of a sudden, everything started spiraling in eight different directions. Then, you know couldn't do a lot of things because of the fall, but then everything was sort of like, oh my gosh, we have to be in this kind of sprint mode around this accident. But then it never cleared. You know, six months later, people were still kind of scrambling and home care aides and who was coming and who wasn't coming. And you have to find some time to take a gigantic step back and say, what are we actually dealing with here? Because I think it's such quicksand. It sucks you in. And then Suddenly, like, this is your life. Just hair on fire from 530 in the morning until nine o'clock at night every day. Right. And then on top of that unsustainability 
comes guilt about why can't I manage to get this done? Why am I not doing a better job? Why am I not showing up for my kid's preschool concert? You know, why did my mom slip and fall again? You know, the one time I went out to dinner with my spouse. Right. And shockingly, I'm shrieky and crabby all day. And I hate myself (laughs) who I am with all of these people, including my vulnerable parent who I'm finding myself yelling and screaming at. Yeah. That is something that I do think it's not solvable, but like in being able to take a day off and say, I have to make a bigger plan versus just whack a mole all day can help. All right, let's take a break, Amy, because we've got to solve this. We've got like one segment left to solve elder care, Social Security, all of it. It's all good. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is... Toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. So we agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code motherhood at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code motherhood for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder, and I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better. And now, what your mother-in-law is really trying to tell you. From the What Fresh Hell podcast. When she says the kids were angels when you picked them up from her house. She means I fed them a huge bowl of ice cream every time they cried. When that didn't work anymore, I took them to Target and bought them $100 worth of new toys. When she says, I'm so sorry I called you Christine. That was his ex and I just can't get her name out of my head. She means, I liked Christine. Always dreamed it would work out for those two. You? Not as great as Christine. When she says, 
I totally respect your rules. We will abide by your guidelines at all times. She means, this eight-page document you have handed me about how to care for a baby is bonkers, and also vaguely insulting. I will pretend to read it carefully in order to appease you, but then I'll just do exactly what I did with the six children I successfully raised to adulthood. But thanks for the suggestions. When she says, I love that you play with your kids and don't let yourself get bogged down with all the little details. She means, your house is an appalling mess and your cooking is a crime. When she says, don't you look nice today? She means, I see that you've taken off your sweatpants and at least attempted to do something with your hair. I've been waiting for this day and I'm glad it has finally arrived. When she says, your children have such independent spirits. She means, kids would never have been allowed to behave like rabid wolverines in public back in my day. I just hope I can impart enough discipline in the rare times I'm with them to turn the tide. When she says, I cherished every single day with my babies. I enjoyed every second of their amazing childhoods. She means, it's been 30 years since I had a baby in the house, and I have completely blocked out the reality of what that experience actually involved. This has been What Your Mother-in-Law Is Really Trying to Tell You. From the What Fresh Hell podcast. Okay, so Laura Kosedge, she's a therapist. She works with people who are in the situation of being a dual caregiver for kids and elderly, the sandwich generation. Laura, we need you. We need you, Laura. She has a couple of ideas. These were from an article in One Medical. I'll put the link in the show notes. The first one is that prioritizing your self-care is crucial because if you don't prioritize your self-care, that can lead to, you know, heart disease, diabetes, addiction issues. Like if you don't take care of yourself, you're not going to be able to not only take care of other people, but take care of yourself. So you actually need to prioritize self-care. Don't put that walk that you used to do with your friend on the back burner, you should actually put it first and lose the guilt about it because she argues it's actually as important as all the other stuff that you're doing for other people. Oh, it absolutely is. And hear us because we've talked a lot about this on the podcast. Self-care doesn't mean like I get a manicure. Self-care doesn't mean, I mean, maybe it does for you. It Maybe it does. Right. Exactly. Self-care is one of those words that I think becomes kind of buzzy and it means like I'm going to get a massage gift certificate, whatever. Self-care could mean I need to put getting eight hours of sleep a night at the top of my list. Nothing gets in the way of that one thing. Right. Everything else I will deal with, but that does not change. Right. It might mean watching TV and it might mean not watching TV, right? Whatever it means for you. She defines self-care, I like this, as any activity that slows down the tempo around you and provides a break. Like for me, going and get to get a manicure, it's like getting my teeth cleaned or something. Like, I'll do it, but it doesn't fill my cup. And she also says, like, start small. Do not let this be the thing you feel guilty about. Like, I should be, you know, riding the bike four times a week. Ride for 10 minutes once a week. Start very small. Do breathing exercises in the pickup line. Like, give yourself one little thing. Go to bed 15 minutes earlier tonight because that's better than nothing. And the most important part is to lose the guilt as if you're somehow taking away from one of the people you're taking care of when you take a nap when somebody else is there to watch the kids once in a while. Yep, I agree. I have another tip idea around this. 
I think these modes we can kind of armor up and close in. Like I have to just burrow like a slug, not a slug. What is it called? Like that little armored beetle that rolls into a ball, you know, like an armadillo. (laughs) Well, yeah, but there's a bug (laughs) version of that. But yes. Okay. Armadillo or type bug. Yes. Yeah. Like a turtle. Like I have to just get in my shell and bang through this situation. Mm -hmm. And having, you know, dealt with this myself, Two things. Number one, resist that temptation. I think it's always more helpful to sit down with your kids and say, listen, I know that you know that grandpa has been sick and I'm very busy there. I know it's hard because I'm away a little bit more. Like, talk it out. And I really could use your guys' help around the house more, you know, Mm -hmm. rather than like turtle shelling in and like, I'm just going to snow plow through. I'm using 86 different metaphors, but you know what I mean? Like, I'm just going to plow through this by myself. Allow that vulnerability. Allow it with your spouse. How can you help me more? This is a really tough situation that I'm in. The other thing is... We've talked some, and I think there's a lot of sexism and other stuff around it about maternal gatekeeping. I'm the only one who can. I'm the only one available to. I would watch that in terms of being the caregiving gatekeeper, too. Like, I am the person who understands how this is done. And if you find yourself, especially in a situation, if you have siblings and other people, cousins, neighbors, other people who can help, accept It's like working from the place of maximum generosity, which we talk about in dealing with other people, work from the place of maximum vulnerability in terms of like, we need meals, who can provide them? I need a week off, Mm -hmm. who can fly in? I need help. And this is like, and you may have to outline to people how they can help, Yeah, but be careful of the story of this is my mom or my dad and I just have to do it all and it's so unfair and no one helps and the people who are far away aren't helpful and they don't this and that and really let it become the problem is X. How do we get over this gate? How do we get under it? How do we get around it? I had this conversation with my mom quite a bit when she was very, very sick. What are the absolutes, you know? She obviously was not happy, was very, very ill and and not feeling well. And we would sometimes start the day like, okay, what don't you like? Well, I don't like having other people caring for me. I'm like, sorry, that is not an option. Like, that's not possible to get out of the situation. So what else? And some days it would just come down to like, a haagen vanilla milkshake would make me feel better today. And it's like, we're going to put that in the win column. But be very frank about what are the problems and who can solve the problem. And if the answer is always only me, you got to look at that a little bit. Yeah. Laura Kosiedge, this therapist, says that another tip she had, which I guess is sort of related, is that you have to be honest when you're hitting your limits. And this is something that is, it's hard for me to do. It's even beyond the like, I need a break and somebody has to come in for a week. It's just the I need a break part. Like admitting that to myself, that I have hit the limit of what I am able to do myself when I'm in one of these sort of intense caregiving moments is very hard for me to admit because I feel like I should be able to handle it all. A better parent would be able to. Well, and you and I talk about in business, we talk a lot about like, we're constantly kind of looking at our systems and saying like, okay, this system is a problem because like, only one person looks at it. And if they make a mistake, there's no check. And so let's, you know, and we're constantly revisiting our systems. I think what's hard is that we don't set up systems because we don't want to admit that the thing is happening. Mm -hmm. 
Ah, right, right. And so we never take the time to sit down and be like, okay, it's going to be this many pills and this person is dying and like this is how the box is set up and this is how much care we need and let's all get together because that would involve confronting the reality of like this isn't getting better. This is the real reality that we're facing. And so we kind of just do catch as catch can rather than sit down and have the hard conversation that is, I don't think you're going to be able to drive anymore. I don't think you're going to be, these are horrible things to face. You know, I don't think you're ever getting out of bed again, whatever it is. And if you have a kid with like severe dyslexia or something like that, that's something to work towards. You have a goal. You're going to fix it. They're going to have dyslexia, but it's going to get a little better with your help. And like someday they're going to be able to read that thing. Like you are moving towards the light. Even if you can't see that, you can trust that one day this kid is going to do, maybe be able to do something on her own that she can't do now. Right. And then, but it's the (laughs) going the other way that I think must make it particularly difficult to say, oh, this is where we are. And it's not changing and it's not getting better and it's not going to self-resolve. No. But I'm going to lay a little Ram Das on you, Amy. Oh, boy. Go ahead. One of my favorite quotes, we are all just walking each other home. That's where we're going. And like, it's your job to say, like, how can I help you at this part of the walk? But if you deny that we're going home, you're not going to be able to be helpful. My grandmother lived with my parents for a while, and she had... Alzheimer's. And I mean, she lived with us for most of my life, but she had Alzheimer's towards the end. My mom was her full-time caregiver, you know, like every day. God, we just got to pause and say, God bless Nancy Wilson. I mean, she did it all. Six kids and taking care. Oh, God bless her. And taking care of her mother-in-law, which which there are many women in the situation, right, who are taking care of their spouse's parent and do incredible work. But it made me think of her when you said that story about walking somebody home. She would, as elderly people sometimes do, they if they're confused, they get more confused as it starts to get dark. It's called sundowning. We're not even sure why it happens, but they get much more confused when it's getting dark outside. And she would say she needed to go home. And it was not solvable in the macro in terms of she was home and solving her agitation about not being home when she was home was hard. But what my dad figured out could work is because it would be right when he was getting home from work that she would start to be getting very agitated that she needed to go home. And instead of convincing her that she was home, you know, all that, he would say, okay, I'll take you. And he'd walk her around, you know, my own childhood home and then lead her right back to her chair Mm. where she would suddenly totally accept she was home and be fine and and be happy for the rest of that night until tomorrow when you had to do it again. Yeah. And I think you can bring, it's like the Haagen-Dazs milkshake you were saying, like bring the win closer and celebrate the small wins of like, for right now, this is okay. For right now, I've done a good job. I think that's right. I mean, I wasn't even picturing talking about this when we talking about this episode, but I do think that that's right. That like, in that you have a parent you value and you're trying to be helpful to them that like... When you see it as like, uh, this is only getting worse and worse and worse, that it, and of course, that is how you see it. I mean, of course, that's very natural. But if you can kind of shape the story a little bit as how can we make this last like walk that we're going to take together as least fraught as possible so that we can enjoy whatever we can enjoy of this time that we have left. It seems a little more the way to go, but it is fraught when you're busy, like, but the caregiver didn't show up today and I don't know this. And and you're so in over your... I remember at some point I had someone on the phone 
when I was trying to do something way above my head in a caretaking uh, place. And the person said, well, do you have any medical training? And I literally screamed, I'm a comedian at the person. <laughs> and it's like, right, you do find yourself. Wow way, way over your head. But like, you're not a doctor. There's a lot of stuff you can't do. And fundamentally, all you can do is try to, you know, survive the situation. But that involves like staring down where you are in it, and then not being afraid to say it out loud enough so that you can make plans to make it better. Yeah. Solved it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There you go. So don't worry about it, guys. Yeah. I mean, we ended up talking a little bit more about um, aging parents and not as much about dealing with kids. But I do think, you know, asking for that acceptance. And I also think being honest with your kids is really helpful in this situation. Like this is what's going on and this is hard. And if you have that parent living with you, obviously, you've got to constantly have those conversations with your kids. And this is real. You know, I think we spend a lot of time with our kids, you know, trying to make them good people. And this what makes kids people, human people is facing the realities of life, which is a lot of this stuff. Yeah, I agree. Well, if you're listening to this episode, and you're in this situation, and you got the kids and you got the parent and you have all of it, we get it. We see you. We admire you. You're doing a great job. Do something for yourself today, even if it's 10 minutes of closing your eyes and taking deep breaths. It's worth it. And if it's a manicure, we're not here to judge you. That's fine. (laughs) That's just not our preference. Right. Friends, we were led to this topic on our Facebook group, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash what fresh hellcast. You should come join our Facebook group and then you can be part of these great conversations that are happening over there. This was suggested by Marianne. I want to give a shout out to that because Marianne, I lost your original question along the way, but thanks for suggesting this topic because it, it is a good one. It was a good one. Thanks. We This was a good conversation. I enjoyed it. Yeah, needed this. Although I'm slightly depressed. <laughs> All right. We'll talk to you next week, friends. Thanks. So long. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder, and I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better. Margaret, it's an exciting news day. An exciting news day indeed, Amy. A few years ago, we launched our first spinoff podcast, Toddler Purgatory, hosted by the hilarious Blair Brooks and Molly Lloyd. And guess what? Now Blair and Molly are back with their all-new podcast, Unsticking It. You know Blair and Molly as two busy moms and actors, and somewhere between potty training and the pandemic, they both felt like they lost their creative kaboom. In their new podcast, Unsticking It, they are going to talk about how 
all of us can get back to what lights us up after motherhood. Amy, I need this. Me too. And Blair and Molly will be talking to fellow imaginative minds. We're talking actors, artists, and creators of all kinds about how we can all unstick ourselves from whatever muck we're stuck in. Follow, subscribe, and listen to Unsticking It wherever you get your podcasts. That's Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life stucks.